Today's Unseminary podcast episode is brought to you by Church Community Builder. I love how these guys help church leaders make and grow disciples by providing software and coaching focused on improving operational effectiveness. Church Community Builder provides leaders like me with insights into engagement of our church community, helping us close the gaps that allow people to slip away unnoticed. Visit churchcommunitybuilder.com to learn more. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. My name's Rich, the host here, and I am just honored that you would take some time out uh, to listen to us today. We know that there's a lot going on at your church that, you know, there's a lot of pressure heading into this weekend, uh, and we're just honored that you would put us in your earbuds and listen in. Every week, we try to provide you uh, great church leaders who are, you know, doing some really fascinating ministry to help inspire you and train you for, for what's happening, and today is no exception. Uh, we've got Mitch Harrison. He is the executive pastor at a great church, uh, Canyon Ridge Christian church in Las Vegas of all things. There's Christians in Las Vegas. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a great church. Been around for about 20 years. They've got two loca- locations plus church online. Uh, welcome to the show, Mitch. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for having me, man. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the church? Kind of give us a sense of the flavor of your ministry. If people were to show up this weekend, what would they experience? Yeah, sure. I mean, we're we're kind of like any other uh, contemporary church, you know, band, all that stuff, uh, lean worship. Um Great messages, you know, kids ministry, those kind of things. Uh, been here in Vegas for I think what we're 23 years old now, wow. and uh, you know, started in the early 90s with that kind of whole movement of churches. Uh, came up, you know, you know, watching Saddleback, watching um, Willow Creek, you know, and learning from those guys. Um, you know, you get out here, uh, 17 or 18 years or so, you start realizing, hey, maybe things need to change a little bit, and so we're have really in the last few years kind of been through through that kind of process, huh. you know, of change. Um, you know, built a big campus, took on a lot of debt, have stuff like that to worry about. Mm. Um, and uh, two years ago, launched our, our first uh, satellite campus oh, cool. from here and finally kind of stepped into that, looking at potentially doing another one uh, this coming year wow. as well. Very cool. So, uh, yeah, so that's kind of kind of where we are. What were some of those changes that you started to make, you know, four or five years ago? As you started thinking, hmm, you're coming up against a lot of churches seem to they they push up against that twenty year mark somewhere around there. Yeah. Something happens where you're like, hmm, we need to think about changing. Yeah, right. And you know, and I think there really is that life cycle of churches. You know, somebody told us somewhere along the way that a typical church's life cycle is about forty years, and you mm-hmm. go from, you know, startup accelerating, booming. Um, and then somewhere around the 20 year mark, you kind of peak. And then if you don't do something different right around then, you know, it, it starts a slow decline that can turn into a really accelerate decline Death if spiral. you're not careful. Yeah. And uh, in fact, the church I grew up in, man, a traditional Southern Baptist church, went through exactly that pattern wow. and then ended up selling their buildings and bulldozing them. And it wow. was not, not fun to watch. But mm. um, no, for us, we, you know, we started realizing that a couple of factors had kind of collided and you you could feel it um about 2008 you know when the economy crashed mm-hmm. we were 16 17 years old 18 years old right around that period of time mm-hmm. and so when the economy crashed here i mean i know everybody felt it all over the country the zip code that our church sits in was 
at, really at the epicenter of the foreclosures. Right. Absolutely. And they said one in six homes were vacant in our area all of a sudden after mm -hmm. years of off-the-charts growth. Right. And so one of the things that we noticed was probably a lot of our growth that had happened over the years had happened because we were the only real large church on this side of town. And so mm. when you have, you know, 7,000 people a month moving to your city and a large portion of them moving to your side of town, right. people are going to find your church. Mm. And they, they found ours. And so what we thought was a really well-crafted evangelism strategy was probably fueled a lot by people just moving here. Hmm. And so a lot of our troops, we started recognizing a lot of our church growth had come just because people moved here. Yeah, um, that's amazing. When all of that slowed down and started actually going the other direction, people began moving out right. uh, of this area and, and leaving because of the, the jobs and, and mm -hmm. homes and all that stuff. Um, we started really seeing some of the weaknesses and the cracks in our ministry. And wow having to ask ourselves some tough questions, you know, what we, we thought we knew what we were about. And I, th I think we did. I mean, I think we legitimately did some good things, but then having to really examine <laughs> what are we going to be about going forward from here? And so uh, we, you know, we, we started taking a look first of all at our staff and asking if, if we're going to go farther from here, what, what kind of staffing are, are we going to need? And not that the people that have, have brought us this far aren't good people and, and helpful people, but, are we all still kind of in our sweet spot? Are we all still mm. really, uh, you know, operating in our optimum when it comes to our roles on staff and that kind of thing? Well, I mean, before we jump into that, I just want to underline, you know, I think this is one of those stories, right? I think we've heard so many times, you know, through yeah. the kind of Great Recession, we all heard about Vegas, right? Like it was, it was always at the top of the list. It was like that and Miami yeah. kept coming up in those conversations about like just the, you know, absolute kind of implosion. The thing I, I and I don't want to give the punchline away, but the, the, the thing I, I love about this conversation is, you know, that's a terrible situation, obviously incredible, you know, to, to find yourself in the midst of, you know, one of those situations, it's like, well, you can't control the economy or the subprime mortgage, you know, yeah. like that's, you know, yeah, but cool. God, God used a really negative situation. And I think has turned that around, has used that, you know, the pressure that that created to shift and make some changes, yeah. um, which ultimately in only like only way that God can do that um, has ended up, you know, using those changes to see, you know, difference make. So what were some of those changes from the staff side? You talked about, hey, we need to kind of re-engineer some of those structures. What did that look like? Yeah, well, um, I think the first, the first thing that we started thinking about was how do we do this with less people? Because there really wasn't money. I and mean, we cut about, in, in over a 10 or 12 month period of time, we cut about $800,000 out of our budget. Mm. Um, we cut everything except, except staff salaries. Mm. Um, we, we didn't do a lot of rehiring when there was attrition. Wow. But we, we were able to make it through that season without having to lay anybody off. Mm. But what we, what we realized coming out of that was that we were going to have to go after uh, higher caliber leaders that could be people developers hmm. and um, and then have less of them you know right. pay them more and have less of them right and really that was one of the shifts and and you know I, I, I don't want to make it you know the dirty little secret of church ministry hmm. but I think there is a time in your church's ministry when you have to say we have to go after a higher caliber of leaders and that's going to cost us more right. which means we're going to have less staff and have to really get on the job of developing people. Right. Um, 
on the back end of that. I appreciate you uh, underlining that, highlighting that, because I think that's one of those things that operates in the background, and we may think about as executive pastors, like hmm, this is, you know, is a yeah. part of the reality. But but this is so true. I, I've said it to so many young leaders: the way that you increase your value, and frankly, the way you'll get paid more in ministry is by being a a releaser of leaders, people yeah. who are able to to build teams. Um, you know, structure them well, uh, release leaders of those teams long all, all day long. You know, I remember my dad when I was a kid, he used to always say, a good salesman always has a job. Uh, and it was the, it's the same thing. In, in the church world, if you can develop and release leaders and do that all day long, um, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll be fine. You'll be able to and be super valuable to the kingdom for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and you know we heard that echo like at last year's leadership summit. So many of the speakers talked about how your success is really measured by the success that others are having around you. Right. How are you helping others to have success? And mm -hmm. could we go out and find leaders who were who led like that, mm -hmm. who leveraged their success through other people? Mm -hmm. And uh, you know it. And then for those of us who want to stick around here, I mean, we had to ask that question of ourselves. Am right. I that kind of leader who really cares about the success of others mm -hmm. and, and uh, you know, elevating others and developing their leadership? Mm -hmm. How did you, um, you know, how did you go about kind of defining that? Like, so, or, or really kind of working that out, looking, you know, just practically even, how did you kind of benchmark, like, here are some leaders that are, are doing a great job on our team. Here's what that looks like. Here are some people that maybe aren't on the right seat in the bus. Um, you know, and and how do how do you deal with that? What did what did you do to kind of what were the litmus tests that you were using through that process? Yeah, you know, I wish I could tell you, man, that we had this really carefully crafted, <laughs> right, right. you know, document that spelled all that out for us that I could pass on to everybody. Bill Hybels is the only guy with that stuff, so it's fine. You know. <laughs> okay, okay. So if I said we went like this and kind of kind of did this number, yes. you know, uh, it was maybe a little more sophisticated than that, but. You know, we really tried to look for people who were building things mm -hmm. and who had built something, mm -hmm. um, who had taken a pocket of, of of leadership and really expanded that, or a pocket of ministry and expanded that, who really had elevated others and who uh, kind of were known for that. And, um, you know, we, we started asking our staff the question, are you really in your sweet spot? Right. You know, a lot of times I think in church staffs, as you as you grow and as you try to be uh, efficient with what you're doing, especially with money, you find people on your staff who can do what you need to do, mm. but maybe they're not necessarily specifically called to that or gifted. I mean, they're just there because they want to help the church grow. They're enthusiastic. They bought into the cause. They bought into the organization. Mm. They're good people. They're solid people. And they'll do whatever. Mm. And so you take people like that, you know, and you kind of, as needs arise, you kind of steer those kind of people towards needs. Mm -hmm. Well, I think there came a point where we started having to say, that's that's great for a while. Mm. But if you want to go beyond that, what you got to do is start asking, is, is this person really in their sweet spot mm. of what this particular role is about in our organization? Mm. And are they really called to this or are they just filling it because they can? Right. And so really having to get get honest about that with ourselves and honest with the people who are sitting in those kind of seats, mm -hmm. again, who are who are the best people. They're, mm -hmm. they're usually the most willing people because mm -hmm. they will take on anything. Mm -hmm. But that kind of is the problem. Right. Is right. they have taken they've taken on anything, right. you know, that, that they can do, but not necessarily in the spot where they're doing what only mm -hmm. they can do. 
Oh, that's good. That is a, a good insight. I hope you've caught that if you're listening in. I know one of the practices we do in our in our church is at the end of every year, we basically we ask people uh, to, to really rewrite their job description, to actively say, okay, what is it? And, and we try to call out over time, move people closer and closer to their sweet spot where they're doing more of what they, where they are thriving and then less of the things, how do we you know, move that stuff around? Now, the interesting thing, we had a woman that was with us for, she was on my team and in a lot of ways, she was like my right hand. She was incredible. Um, a year ago, she got married, you know, her husband, um, you know, lives a, while, a ways away. And so she had to move on. And it was interesting in that process over the years, her job description had evolved so much to, and she was totally in her sweet spot. When we stepped back and went to figure, okay, we got to figure out how we're going to, you know, move on from here. I was like, well, we really, we have to start over again. We've got to find a new, it's not, we're not going to find, because we had so customized the role to her, uh, which was a win, you know, that was a, you know, I think that was a positive thing for her and she ended up thriving and it asked us to go back to some of those fundamentals again and say, what do we actually need, um, you know, in this? Yeah, and I think, I, I tell you, it is a difficult process to do this because yes. you're talking about people that you love, people right. that, you, that you care about, people that have contributed to your ministry. And I, I will say this, we, we didn't go about it with, mm. you know, a hatchet. I mean, we didn't come with a chainsaw and just start cutting people out and moving right. on and things like that. I think really before you start into this process, you really have to examine your values, mm. both personally and corporately, mm. and really have this value set in, in mind that these are people that God dearly loves and that God has a plan for and that God has intended their life to thrive in some particular area. And you don't have the right as a church leader to mess that up. You're, you're dealing so with something holy when you're dealing with a person. And, and if they're in the wrong spot and if they're in a place where they're not thriving, you have a responsibility. Mm. If, they're, if their place of thriving is somewhere beyond your church to help them with that process, but that can't be some kind of tongue-in-cheek euphemism for we just want to get rid of that dude. Right. Really, I, I really believe that as the church, we have to treat people with the same value and honor that God does in their calling. And, and if, if their right path is for them to transition outside of your church, um, to, to give enough time for that to happen, um, arguably we, we have probably given too much time sometimes for that process to happen. Um, there are those inside who have transitioned out who have said we didn't give enough time. I mean, we didn't always get it right. I got right. just we, we did not always get that right. Mm -hmm. But um, but to make sure that 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 kind of heart is in the process of those kind of conversations. Mm -hmm. uh, could you, could you kind of pull that apart a little bit for us? Walk us through. Um, it doesn't need to be an individual person, but kind of the structure of. Let's say you come to the point where you're like, hey, we we really we've made the decision. We need to move this person on. We think they. Um, we need to help them find an, their next place, and it's not with our church. Um, what did that look like? What did the, how did that go down? What was that communication process like? What did you learn through that process? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think it starts back before that of beginning to identify that. And I will right. say that most of the time that that process begins with frustration. Right. That you begin to see frustration develop either in that person or in their team, or probably both mm -hmm. is really when it shows up. And you know, what, what we try to do oftentimes is we try to smooth out that frustration. Let's adjust, let's tweak, let's fix the job description, let's you know, rearrange the process of the team, whatever. But sometimes I think you've got to have a, have a 
a sensor somewhere along the way that goes, if there's frustration there, there's probably a reason. Let's dig in and find out what that is. Right. And then when you get to the point of saying this frustration seems to mean that this person is really in the wrong seat or they're doing the wrong thing or God has grown them and they're, they're moving on to something else. Um, honestly, the first part of that is sitting down and just having an honest conversation about that issue and just being willing to say to a person, have you considered, because I've considered, that this frustration that you're experiencing is because that God is beginning to move you onto your next place of ministry mm. and just starting having an honest conversation with that person about it. What I try to say in that conversation is, I don't have a date in mind. I don't have a timeline in mind. I, I, I have a question that I don't know the answer to, but let's go find the answer together. Hmm. And then begin, what I do is try to set up a series of just consistent meetings with that person over, over time mm -hmm. to, get, to help them walk to the place of seeing what we're seeing. And then from that point, to, it's somewhere along that process to set a date and say, let's make this a target date for you transitioning to a next thing. Mm -hmm. And then even from that point, what I'll do, and, and you know, if, if, I, if I can, if I'm enough connected to that situation, um, and I try to be connected to those as much as I can, um, even from this seat. We have, mm -hmm. to, to give you context, we have about 70 people or so on staff, mm -hmm. but I still want to be connected to those as, as much as I can right. um, to help that person walk through the personal part of that process of what is it that God's doing in this mm -hmm. person's life and what and try to help them understand what that might mean for future ministry roles. Um, then down in the organization help their ministry leaders to identify what is the new role specifically that is that this person is kind of separating from. Mm -hmm. And so to use it as an opportunity to really get clear about what the role is becoming that's causing the frustration and why this person isn't a fit anymore because eventually you're going to have to rehire that role. Right. And, um, the more clarity you can get about what that new role is will help you when you go to rehire the next time. Right. So I think those things kind of happen at the same time. And then as we get down to it, you know, we try to uh, do a couple things. In the communication cycle, allow that person who's transitioning to first of all communicate with their personal inner circle. So they may have friends in the ministry, you know, people who are volunteers that are closest to them, people who would want to hear from them personally mm -hmm. about that. Mm -hmm. We we give them a period of time to talk to those people personally and tell mm -hmm. that story. And then they talk to their ministry team, their mm -hmm. larger ministry team after that. And then then to our staff and then when appropriate to the to the larger ministry to the church to mm -hmm. the church at large. And are you, um, again, I think you're, don't miss that church leaders, there's a cascading of information and, and people get hurt if you don't cascade that information correctly. And you've got to think through that well um, and articulate that sure, make sure everybody's, you know, aware of what that process looks like. I'm assuming, um, you know, just to tease out one thing you said there, in, in that situation where then ultimately you're kind of making a public announcement, you're talking about it publicly, that always kind of matches the level at which this person, you know, has influence in the organization. So th there isn't in the, you know, in the bulletin on a Sunday morning, you know, here's the list of people who transitioned this week, um, yeah. you know, because a bunch of those people, they're not known by, you know, right. the vast majority of staff. So it would be kind of by ministry area. Is that, is that kind of the general principle that you followed? Yeah, you know, I mean, the announcement ought to be as public as the person was, yep. essentially. Yep. I think that's kind of a general rule of thumb. And, uh, yeah, it's just a lot of sensitivity about about that. And, 
you know, both what the church needs and what that person would want and, you know, kind of putting all that together somehow. Um, again, I don't think there's like a hard and fast rule on it because we've had some guys around here that weren't quite as public, but they had been around for so long right. that you know, so many people knew who they were. And right. it was just honoring for us to say, hey, this, you know, these people are, are moving to their next thing and we can celebrate that and pray for them and, yep. and all that, you know. Absolutely. Um, so now let's talk about kind of, you know, roll the clock forward. So obviously, you know, you've yeah. gone through a bunch of uh, staff structure changes, transitions, re-engineered the structures. You know, how has that impacted where the church is at today? What difference has that made? Yeah, well, um, you know, again, you're talking about that life cycle, you know, that kind of acts like a bell curve, right? Yep. And you want to catch it as it's kind of cresting and start yes. a new curve. Well, we, we have really done it with that in mind of thinking, what kind of leaders do we need to begin the new curve? Right. And, um, you know, a, a couple of things have, have happened. You know, I have been around here for almost 16 years now. Mm. So I was a part of the first slope, yes. you know. And what I started realizing was I was not going to be the guy who invented the next one. Mm. Hm. And it's it's not because I'm stupid well it might it might be I, it might be because yes. of that. but but it's because i see through the lens of where we have been right wow what my role becomes now is i need to start asking questions that i don't know the answer to mm. and then finding the people who have those answers mm. and i think there is in looking for for the next wave of staff people who are going to create that next that that next part of the curve can I go and find people who have answers that I have never thought of? Right. And am I willing to let go enough to trust them to bring those answers to us and actually reshape the the, the kind of ministry that we are? I think before you start bringing anybody in, you got to ask that question. Am I willing to let somebody else fill in the blanks that I used to fill in? Am I willing to let somebody else be the filter that I used to be the filter of? Um, I used to be the expert. But right. now I got to become the leader, mm. and those are two vastly different roles in in ministry. And it's a hard thing, I think, to let go of, especially if you've been around a long time and have been that expert before. Everybody looked to you mm -hmm. for the cool new, you know, ministry shaper mm -hmm. that that's going to affect you know what this church becomes. Wow. And, that that well, I hope people are, are leaning in and hearing that, Mitch. I appreciate you leading with humility and and to say that because I think there are a lot of leaders who don't get to that spot, who never push through the, I they always have to be the person um, answering every question. They always have to be the expert. They always have to be the one that all the roads lead to. Um, but I think there is great growth and potential on the other side of saying, hey, I want to have open hands and be the person that that brokers all kinds of great you know, things that are happening that are, like you say, answering questions I'm not even asking. Yeah. Um, that's that's amazing. That's uh, What would be an area, as an example, an area where you'd say, hey, this is an area where I felt like I was the expert, but now my job's just to lead. Um, give me a sense of what that's looked like for you. Yeah, well, um, it's, I went through that ex exactly. When I first came here, I was in the, in the worship arts area. In yep. fact, the church I was at before here, I was a worship leader right. for eight years, you know, wow. and I was one of the guys, you know, who stood up there and played keys and was cool. And everybody thought, man, who, what's this new music we're doing in the church these you days? You wore and skinny was, jeans. You had the cool hat hair. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
Yeah, that's what I did back then. No, but I mean, it was kind of the that, it was kind deal. of the nineties equivalent yes, of that. You know absolutely, what I'm saying? totally understand I was, that. I yes. was that guy, and yep. then all of a sudden, you wake up one day and you go, "Wait a minute, I'm not that guy anymore." Right. You know, so I kind of went through this identity crisis of of who am I if I'm not the worship arts guru guy for our church? You know, the programming you know creative guy for our church, and you know. It, it's, it, I mean, it's like an, you, you kind of go through a little bit of an identity crisis of yeah. having to let that go a little bit and go, what is my next role then? Right. And so when, um, as we were starting to make this transition, I had stepped a little bit up in terms of a kind of overall executive kind of role. Another guy and I shared shared the role together. Um, but I was still really heavily involved in the worship arts ministry. And we started, we, we hired a couple guys and one of them uh, came in and just had a lot of what this was my perspective it was a lot of just negative stuff to say about what was going on in our worship services oh wow this guy that we had hired on staff yes. and we'd hired him for a partic- his particular expertise in another area but as he was looking into our worship service he was going dude you guys are you guys are living in the past you know right, right, stuff right. you're coming up with is not connecting with people right well what he was saying what i heard was Mitch, the stuff that you're coming up with is not connecting yes. with people the stuff that you and and here's the sad part about it. He was exactly right. Oh wow! Yes. I mean, dude, he like I had no defense. Right. He, he was he was right. <laughs> yes. And wow. you find yourself in this place of going, I, I can either defend myself, or I, I can let the church move on. Right. But I but I can't I can't do both. Right. If I defend myself here and defend what we're doing, the church will never get to what it needs to. And so we, at that point, um, some other changes had happened and I, um, we started reorganizing the, the organization again and I came into this, ex- this lone executive pastor role at our church and started realizing, man, I, I just got to get over that. Mm-hmm. And I got to let these new thinkers reshape our ministry. And then we began a process of hiring the guy in behind me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, eventually he brought in a guy who is a young guy looks like you, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, you know, thinks of things and does things in ways that I would never have thought of to do. Mm. Um, but one of the great, what I have found is, and I think this is, you know, maybe the mercy of God, you know, in it is what I have found is one of my greatest joys now. And, and, and honestly, probably the most fulfilling part of my ministry these days is watching these guys mm. just run and right. just do it and reshape the church mm. and watch our church respond to that and do things that we'd never thought of before. I mean, they're not even crazy things. They're just in ways we've never thought of right. before, but connecting with people, you know, again, and um, it's, it's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to share before we pivot into the rest of the episode? This has been a great conversation today. Oh, thanks, man. Um, yeah, I, you know, I would just say uh, if you're going to launch into this kind of thing, that that thing of really holding the ministry loosely, mm-hmm. and and hiring guys who are going to be able to take a step up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess what I mean by that is what I realize is, I, you know, I don't think I'm that old of a guy, but I'm 51 years old, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the guys that we have hired in to kind of come help us reshape our church, some of them. Are 15 years behind me right and they one day are gonna step up and be me 
Right. So they're going to have to have leadership capacity in them, not just to do what they're doing today, but to one day think about doing what what I'm doing, yep. which which is asking questions that nobody knows the answer to mm-hmm. and hiring in the next group behind them someday down the road. I mean, it's coming for all of us. Absolutely. And so I think, you know, looking for guys who have the potential not just to do what they're doing today, but also have the potential to step up and use that as a criteria for hiring. Mm. Um, it's a big deal. The other thing I would say in this too is as you go about hiring a new role, it 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 is, I cannot overstate how critical it is to get super clear about what you want that person to do. Mm. What is the, what are the outcomes that you want to see from those new hires? For instance, overseeing the worship ministry is not an outcome. That's an activity. Right. You know, I mean, no, no offense, but my mom can oversee a ministry. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. Right. But what, but I'm not, I'm not laying awake at night you know, staring at the ceiling all frantic because somebody is overseeing the ministry. Mm-hmm. I'm laying awake at night because they're not producing certain outcomes. Right. You know, oversee the band. Well, he is. The band's got three people in it and they're always scrambling for more. You right. know, yes. How many, you know, how many people do you want involved? How many people should that guy engage? Quantify it mm-hmm. and get clear about the expectations for each of those roles. And then the other part of it, I would say, is once you get clear about those expectations, of the role, and then you start finding people to that can fill those expectations. You got to ask the question: How deeply do I trust this person? Mm. Do do I really trust this person enough to hand something off to them and let them go, and not have to lay awake in bed at night worrying about what they're doing? Absolutely. You yeah. know, the the whole difference between activity and results is a yeah. huge deal, and I think a lot of church leaders get. They get that mixed up, mixed up in their head. You know, the, when I ask, you know, when they're talking about what's happening in their ministry, they're talking about all the activity they're doing. They're yeah. not defined. They're not talking about the results that all that activity is having. It, the fact that you're busy isn't. It doesn't matter. The, the question is, you know, are, is all of that work is it generating outcomes uh, in people's lives? Um, that you know that you can actually say, yeah, here is what's happened. Um, you know, for sure. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. And the thing is, once you do that, you can free the guy to go after those outcomes. Yeah. And you aren't micromanaging how he goes after them. You're not filling in those blanks. Right. But that you're you're pointing him in the direction of a target. And then they you just go, go, go get that, you know, and and they can they can be inventive and innovative and all the stuff they want to do to get to there. This is the Unseminary Podcast. Stuff you wish they taught in seminary. We're going to jump into the lightning round, that part of the episode where we ask similar questions of everybody that's on the show. Super privileged to have Mark, Mitch Harrison with us today from Canyon Ridge Christian Church in Vegas. What a great conversation this has been today. I really appreciate you being on the show. Um, what's an online resource you're using these days? Something that's helping you out in your ministry? Yeah, um, for me, I spent... A, a lot of time creating meeting agendas and uh, I, it got to be overwhelming for a while and I found I was looking for some kind of software that would help me mm-hmm. organize all those little things that have to go on agendas somewhere yeah. into that I found this program called Day Pulse D-A-P-U-L-S-E okay. and it's really off the beaten path uh, I'd never heard of it before it's actually I think an Israeli company some Israeli guys have, have uh, put this together it's just a basic project management software so uh, that manages very simple things but what I've used it for is managing agenda items mm. and keeping all that those tasks list and agendas for different meetings straight 
um, you know, over the course of probably like most guys, you know, over the course of any given month, man, I've got six or seven meetings that are happening on a regular basis, including right. one-to-ones with my team, um, you know, lead team meetings, elders meetings, ops team meetings. I mean, there's, you name it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what thing needs to go on what date, and you can use this program to help organize all that stuff. And so it's it's been a, a help to me to do that. Very cool. Uh, what's a book you've read in the last, I don't know, maybe six months to a year that's shaped your thinking or ministry? Um, yeah, you know, we picked up... Uh, Carrie uh, Newhoff's book, uh, God Dreams, yeah. and I was working through some of the vision stuff for our church, and mm-hmm. it's kind of one of the places we are really doing a real clear refresh of our vision. Oh, cool. Um, that, that's been helpful to, as a lens kind of to look through there. Cool. Very good. Um, what's another ministry you're looking to that's inspiring you that you're kind of like, wow, they're doing some cool stuff? Yeah, well, you know, I'm, you know, we're, we're not like on the cutting edge of finding those, of the finders of those, you know, cool little things, but I... I really admire uh, a lot of things that North Point Church is doing and we send our guys to the to the regroup uh, conference every year and um, one of the things that, that I have appreciated the most about what they have done is they have really done a I think an incredible job of leveraging their teaching content mm-hmm. um, and using that resource as a way to distribute the gospel through a lot of different channels and right. um, you know, really asking the question, how how can we do that same kind of thing? I mean, we all video our, you know, most churches, mm-hmm. you know, video their sermons now in one way or another. Man, that's that teaching content is a resource that can be distributed in so many different ways, and I think they've been a real challenge to us to think about how to do that. Absolutely. If you could get 15 minutes with any leader alive, who would you want to get that with and why? Uh, well, these days, uh, you know, because of uh, North Point, I think Andy Stanley would be one of those guys, you know. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Probably, I'm sure a lot of guys would say that. But I sometimes here, call him the Pope. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's why, and specifically right now. Um, uh, again, on one of their podcasts I was watching, he did a three-week series called Tough as Nails mm. that I, I just pinned me to the wall mm. when I, I saw the first one. Um, I think that series has probably challenged me more than any other thing as a leader in, in, in this way to think through how courageous a person and a leader I, I really am. Mm. And man, was it convicting. Mm. Um, and I, w- I would recommend every church leader watch that and just hold yourself and your leadership up against that kind of, of courage. And, and it's not really about courage and leadership or anything like that. It simply is about looking at our Savior and mm-hmm. the kind of person that he was and the kind of courage that he lived with on this earth and asking ourselves, if I'm following a Savior like that, does my life reflect that kind of faith and that kind of courage in, in the way that I make decisions and the way that I live? And like I said, hey, you'll just have to listen to the three messages and like I said it, it, it pinned me to the wall and I'm still I still go back and listen to it just to try to get my head around it yeah, very cool well if you uh, I'm sure you know kicking back relaxing you know it, it, we all have to do that we have to find those things in our lives to do that what do you do to just for, have fun just to relax yeah um, I'm into running got oh, into nice. running a few years ago and we have this really cool uh, Vegas marathon half marathon that they do right up the strip oh that's so cool they cl- it's the one time a year they close down the entire strip and you can wow. run like a half marathon from Mandalay Bay all the way up into you know downtown Fremont Street area 
wow. and back again, and it's it's really awesome. So that's that's a lot of fun, and I uh, cool. play golf a little bit and hang out with my family, and um, I got teenage kids that are just a total blast to be with right now. So we do a lot of fun stuff with them. That's cool. Well, Mitch, I really appreciate being on the show today. If people want to get in touch with the church or with you, how can they do that? Yeah, uh, easy way. Just go to our website, canyonridge.org. My my email address is still on there. Mm-hmm. Um, simple email address is Mitch at canyonridge.org, and and uh, you can email me there. Nice. Um, well, that's great. Thanks for being on the show today, Mitch. Well, Rich, thank you, man. Thanks. It's been, this has been an honor, man. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Don't be shy. We'd love to connect. Check out Unseminary Inbox. You can sign up at unseminary.com and we'll send you helpful training resources every week. Plus, you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use. Connect with Rich on Twitter at Rich Birch or through email rich at unseminary.com Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary.